0: Welcome to the RM Williams Outback podcast. I'm Terry Cowley, the Senior Associate Editor of RM Williams Outback magazine. Thanks to Elders Insurance for sponsoring this podcast. Can electric tractors, four wheel drives, and harvesters work in the bush? What are the energy options for agriculture as Australia decarbonises? I'm joined by journalist Bruce McMahon, who's just written a comprehensive story for Outback about powering future farms. Hello, Bruce.
1: Hello, Terry. How's things?
0: Very good. Thank you. Aussie farmers have long welcomed innovation for more cost-efficient and productive agriculture, haven't they? But today's farmers and transport operators – face a fresh round of self-sufficiency and technology issues. Bruce, what are the biggest challenges do you think facing farmers in terms of future power sources? Well, Terry, I think
1: the business of running homes, homesteads, farm sheds, that's going to be pretty much under control with solar panel, wind power and better and better batteries. The biggest issue will be farm machinery where... Batteries, which have been spoken about it quite a bit, but batteries aren't going to be the answer for big machines. So we're going to have to look for further down the track for things like hydrogen fuel cells synthetic fuels, because again, batteries will not be the answer for some heavy machinery.
0: There is a lot to think about, a lot of options. You spoke to the National Farmers Federation Vice President, David Johinke, and he makes the point that farmers are well aware of these issues. They've always had to be self-sufficient. What form do you see this self-sufficiency taking?
1: I guess it starts in the farmhouse, the farm sheds um needing power to run anything from lights to fridges to freezers a lot of that takes a lot of power and then of course you talk about things like welders and electric power equipment in the sheds so it appears to be from people we've spoken with that those problems or issues perhaps can be overcome with the the current technology with solar power and wind power charging a battery bank the issue as we say gets more complicated when we start talking about heavy machinery, but the systems available now, at a cost, obviously, to power things like electric ATVs or maybe even a battery electric ute. But once you get beyond some of that, again, bigger, heavier machinery, batteries become an issue because of weight. Essentially, so
0: agriculture is as energy intensive as it's ever been. Agri businesses are becoming larger. The trend is towards bigger machines that can do more in less time. But there is optimism. There's a feeling that there will be huge steps forward on the power front in our lifetimes. Things like AI and robotics coming to the fore to help.
1: Yes, all that will help. We spoke with John Deere in particular about, uh, they've got an electric tractor coming in about 2026, I think. but It's only going to be the equivalent of about 100 horsepower. So They're looking at a a mix of future power options. Hydrogen fuel cells is one, and synthetic fuels, biodiesel and renewable diesel. Some of this is still to be worked out through cost effectiveness, you know, what's going to be the most cost effective. Some of that will change as demand grows for, let's say, fuel cell vehicles or drops for synthetic fuels. Some of that's still to play out. The issue, again, with heavy machinery is the weight of batteries. And the John Deere people suggested that for something like a a a 600-horsepower you're looking at about 38 Tesla loads of batteries. So quite a heavy, a heavy machine by the time you get to um, some of that power. 230 kilowatts, they reckon it would take about 21 tonne machine, which obviously is not going to work in a paddock where it's uh, compacting more than it's flowering or planting. Of
0: course, sir, when we talk about electric vehicles, there are already widespread options for electric passenger cars.
1: Yes, and there's been perhaps a bit too much hype about electric cars. Now, these battery electric ones in the main are fantastic for some people in some parts of Australia, and we're talking mainly in uh, city metro areas where distances are short and you can run home and after work and plug the car into the mains again, there's an issue still with range or more so probably with range anxiety. People worried about how far, whether they can drive from Brisbane to Cunnamulla with not too many stops and gaps in the way to charge. And
0: have somewhere to charge it.
1: Yes, And those gaps are are filling in, but this is where things like uh, hydrogen fuel cells may become an answer where rather than stopping to fuel up with electricity, you fuel up with hydrogen, which powers your vehicle. Heavy transport in particular, they're looking at hydrogen fuel cells, which uh, can be fueled almost as quickly as you can a a diesel truck. And as long as there's a supply of hydrogen along the way, it would appear to be a perhaps a better solution than, again, batteries that take up weight and therefore you lower your payload. Then I
0: guess, again, that supply is possibly an issue in the short term. So electric trucks are available from major manufacturers and you've got that Queensland outfit, Rove, who are converting them. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, he's an interesting bloke who converted his old Land Rover first and then thought there's a demand for electric utes. So primarily in the mining industry, again, where they're not travelling big distances and they can be easily charged up overnight or through the day when they're not working. He's converting Toyota Hilux and Ford Rangers, primarily Hilux, but it's about $60,000 on top of your vehicle. So it's not a a cheap option yet, but he's confident that that will change. Costs will come down and therefore prices will come down as we move along. He's already got some some potential orders from mining companies and and others for his Utes.
0: And you've got Can-Am making electric motorbikes.
1: Yeah, Can-Am and a bit like another manufacturer, Toyota, are are taking a a steady-as-she-goes approach to this without being rude to some of the vehicle manufacturers, car manufacturers, a lot easier for them to make and sell a vehicle to run around town. Where people like Can-Am are saying, look, we will be going down that road, but we've put a lot of effort. Research, if you like, into all of this, because as a Can-Am, people say they want their machine to operate and be operated as easily as uh, current petrol engine ATVs in their case. They have started, yes, with electric motorbikes, and at some stage, I'm sure we'll we'll see some electric ATVs from Can-Am. Their rivals, Polaris, already have one, an electric uh, side-by-side. It's a little more expensive than uh, maybe about twice the price of a conventional side-by-side. Again, all these things will change a bit as demand grows and costs come down, technology improves. But again, there's a lot of talk about electric vehicles as far as cars or even small trucks around the town. The question is going to be for rural and remote communities, how this might work uh, out in the scrub. These Absolutely.
0: Now just talking more generally, there are a lot of green energy network gaps across Australia. And you spoke to the remote Sandfire Roadhouse about some of these challenges.
1: Yeah, he's had the issue uh, since electric vehicles, battery electric vehicles vehicles have come along of, of people Tourist travellers driving through uh, to Sandfire, which is fairly remote there, south of Broome on the West Australian coast. We're talking about the owner, um, the
0: owner, there, Ken Norton.
1: Yeah, and and Ken has had issues with uh, people trying to fast charge their Teslas or what have you, and basically running his uh, generator off the scale because he's got no mains power there. That is changing, as we said. Uh, these gaps will fill gradually, and apparently there's an energy company, power company, building a battery charger for him. They're a fast charger, so that tourists can fast charge rather than having to camp overnight and, and trickle charge these electric machines.
0: You've mentioned all the different ways of getting power, liquid organic hydrogen being another alternative. These do present opportunities for new farm income streams though, don't they?
1: Yes. A couple of the consultants we spoke with suggested that agriculture is going to become more viable than ever. And one of the points there is that if you've got a few acres there bare where you can throw in some solar panels and let the sheep graze underneath, perhaps you could be sending power back to the grid. Again, you've got to be connected to the grid, but already there are people looking at that. Farms could be the source of renewable power, excess renewable power is what I'm trying to say. That then goes back to the grid and creates some extra income. The same could be done with hydrogen. So all you need for hydrogen, is some sun and some water. Now, we've got a reasonable amount of that, not everywhere, but a reasonable amount of that across spread across Australia. So people could be making their own hydrogen and and on-selling hydrogen.
0: More farmers are going off-grid and you spoke to some farmers down Sailway in Victoria.
1: Yes, Sandra Jefford was telling us how they have saving considerable amount of money by converting to solar power and uh, upgrading the irrigation system. A lot of their power usage is about the irrigation system on a dairy farm down outside sale and their savings are immense. Mind you, they've spent $930,000 on this, but they'll be returned inside seven years. So some of these projects will cost money, but the returns are quite substantial, uh, not only in savings, but then perhaps, as we said, in producing excess energy to on-sell to uh, other suppliers.
0: In a similar vein, you spoke to Simon Corbwell down on the Ballerine Peninsula.
1: Yeah, Simon's only got a, a, a small uh, all holding there running some beef cattle, but he's and his family are totally off-grid in a very pretty part of the country, and he runs his farmhouse and shed off a relatively small solar system, and Simon, as well as looking after his cattle, they also breed Labradors, so they've got two or three deep freezers full of meat and bones for the dogs, and all of that is run off his Solar panels. So small scale, perhaps, but it shows what can be done.
0: So there are companies that are supplying quite a lot of off grid systems, and that's really increased sort of since about, I guess, the last 12 years.
1: Yes, and 12 years or so, there's been uh, some companies well set up now that are at the forefront, if you like, of all this renewable energy. And in particular, for rural areas and farmhouses, crowd in South Australia, logically, and I've called off Grid Energy, have installed a number of systems across South Australia in particular on large farms and believe that the technology is constantly improving. These people, particularly those at the forefront that started up maybe 10 or 12 years ago, can see costs coming down. They can see smarter technology coming in to the point where you might have devices in the house, which actually feed power back in through the grid or through your solar system. We haven't seen the end of it yet, so to speak, and some of these people are devising very clever systems that, again, while they cost a little money to start with, produce a lot of savings and economies of scale down the road.
0: Yeah, it's it's about taking the long-term view and, I guess, taking the, the viewpoint that it might be the right thing to do for the environment, so so it's it's a good thing to do for altruistic reasons as well. You, you mentioned John Deere earlier, the managing director there, Luke Chandler was saying that the of course the path to this sustainable future we're aiming for does not only rely on electrification to power our vehicles biofuels are also an important part of that where are we at on that Bruce
1: biofuels are interesting that again technology is uh, improving they can now get uh, ethanol in particular out of more scrappy plant material, if you like. Whereas once upon a time it was thought of more that you had to have safflowers or, or what have you to get things like diesel oil. So that is improving. There's a crowd who's going to start up in North Queensland with a big, big plant for aviation fuels, sustainable aviation fuel. They'll be taking molasses, which is a byproduct of sugarcane refinery, and turning that into a uh, an ethanol, but it's suitable for uh, jet engines. That's happening. There jet again, Zero Australia? Jet Zero mm-hmm. Australia, that's them. They're quite positive about uh, the future for sustainable aviation fuel produced from scrap sugarcane, if you like. The same with uh, there's a little bit of renewable diesel comes out of that process too. So there's, there's talk of producing diesels out of algae going down the track, but uh, that's still a way off. As with the battery technology and the hydrogen fuel cell technology, the business of creating sustainable fuels out of plant material is is progressing quite nicely.
0: I guess the point that makes really is that there won't be a one solution fits all when it comes to these alternative technologies.
1: That's right. Battery electric's got its place. Uh, hydrogen fuel cell have their place sustainable fuels which perhaps uh, you know tractors big tractors will be running on sustainable diesel biodiesel so there's a mix i think particularly we go back to uh, what we said earlier about the metro areas there's been a lot of hype if you like about battery electric vehicles and how they might save the world there hasn't been perhaps as much focus on all these alternatives especially for rural communities or or people away from infrastructure
0: might that be why toyota australia for example is taking quite a considered approach and not putting all its eggs in one basket.
1: Yes, a few people looking askance at Toyota for saying things like that, but I would suggest they're probably on the right track that uh, easy to make a reasonably cheap battery electric vehicle to run around town, but looking at something like a Toyota Hilux, which needs to work all day and travel long distances through very different conditions, electric again, battery electric may not be the answer. So Toyota are looking at any number of options they have a fuel cell vehicle a sedan that is on the road they have hybrids they're keeping their options well and truly open whereas some manufacturers have simply gone down this battery electric route as uh, sean hanley the marketing boss sales and marketing boss of toyota australia says be assured that when you want to drive your highlights up big red and leave no emissions that they'll have a vehicle but it's it's not quite here yet so they're committed to decarbonizing but they're looking at all options on how that happens and just taking it a little more steadily. And knowing Toyota, of course, they'll they'll have the answers, but they'll be a little further down the road.
0: I was interested in the comments by the Australian Trucking Association, the future transport manager, Sam Marks, saying that the truck fleet, which is largely urban, it should be pushed to decarbonise earlier than rural.
1: Yeah, and that makes sense too. I'm not too sure that you know, subsidies for electric vehicle buyers might have been better spent on making sure that all the supermarket delivery trucks around the metropolitan areas were electric. Urban fleet, which is, is takes up most of the transport fleet, uh, once it's decarbonised, so to speak, we'll see the transport sector's emissions drop dramatically. And the idea from the Trucking Association is that the long-haul people, cattle train operators perhaps, shouldn't be penalised when they may need to hang on to diesel fuels trucks for a bit longer than uh, the rest of the country.
0: And Hyundai, of course, they're also providing an electric truck.
1: Yeah, there's there's a couple uh, Photon, Chinese manufacturer, Hyundai, have trucks in that sort of three to five ton range available now, and again, priced over the conventional light truck but capable of doing the job and these again are trucks that aren't running 24 hours a day so they can go back to the depot and charge overnight or whatever you can get up next morning to bring the bread milk and eggs from the depot to the supermarkets.
0: You mentioned hydrogen earlier so apparently according to your learned story Bruce Australia has the potential to supply all the world's green hydrogen by 2050. That seems like an amazing opportunity.
1: Yeah that was some stuff from a Deloitte Report into hydrogen, a fairly recent report too, and might be pie in the sky a little bit, but they're suggesting that we have the, the land and the water and the sun and wind to produce hydrogen, green hydrogen, quite cheaply. Again, one of those things that's going to cost a bit of money to set up, but long-term benefits uh, may outweigh the benefits of some other uh, renewable power sources.
0: Australia does have its first commercial hydrogen refuelling station set up, though, doesn't it? At Port Kembla this year.
1: Yeah, and that's another manufacturer, truck manufacturer, who's using hydrogen. It's an easy fuel to refuel. It's an easy fuel essentially to create with green credentials is one thing. There's a crowd in Emerald, Queensland who run a bus company with something like 120 buses. Now they're converting from diesel to hydrogen over the next few years and will produce their own hydrogen in Emerald. So that's, yeah, it's, it's bit by bit, the hydrogen.
0: Grenadier producing a four-wheel drive using BMW fuel cell technology and then the Australian company H2X who have made a hydrogen fuel cell ute.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting crowd. The H2X Ute cost about 200 grand, and essentially it was done as a prototype to show that their technology would work in a conventional, if you like, Ute. But it was really a prototype to showcase what they could do with future buses and trucks in particular. Had a few orders for these things, so they're making those as well. But their big, bigger business will be with bespoke hydrogen fuel cell vans. They're already supplying hydrogen fuel cell trucks into uh, Sweden, uh, garbage trucks which are running on hydrogen fuel cells developed by H2X.
0: And you spoke to Professor John Fletcher at the University of New South Wales Digital Grid Futures Institute, and he said that synthetic fuels could play a major part in decarbonising farms as well.
1: Yes, Professor John was, um, again, across the idea that there's going to be a number of solutions to our renewable power issues in in the future. And yes, we mentioned earlier that there's a lot of development going on with creating biofuels. So he was one of those who, yes, talks about a whole range of solutions down the road.
0: John says it's important to begin talking with farmers about new power sources, but really when you spoke to the NFF, they, they believe that's happening.
1: Yeah, they, they make a good point that years ago you used to have start a generator and run a little 32-volt system through the farm to power your fridge and maybe your TV if you're lucky. I mean, the farmers used to use kerosene lamps and if you went further back, steam tractors, steam powered tractors. So farmers are pretty astute. Well, obviously they have to be, they need their self-sufficiency uh, and they need to look ahead to keep the farms economic and, and effective, cost effective and, and be productive. So a lot of this, and it's going to take a little while, a lot of this is going to, as one of those consultants said from Partners in Performance, uh, make farmers and agricultural more viable than, than ever. So the farmers, yes, have have got to start and have started, we believe, talking about the the issue of renewable power, whether it be for the farmhouse or the farm tractor.
0: Bruce, maybe to finish up, get get your crystal ball out for a minute, Bruce. Where do you see all this landing in about 10 years?
1: Sometimes we wake up and, you know, technology's jumped 10 years ahead um, overnight. I see a lot of battery electric vehicles around the town and maybe around the farmyard, you know, maybe side by sides, things like that maybe a battery-electric ute for the farm. And that can be powered by your own power, solar and wind. And then I see heavy transport. We're talking about heavy semi-trailers and the bigger tractors. We think there'll be sustainable fuels, uh, biodiesels, I think will be the go, but don't discount hydrogen or H2X with their utes and buses. I also have hydrogen generators that use hydrogen to generate power for farmhouses. So I think there will be a mix, the heavier machinery, harvesters, tractors, semi-trailers will be a mix of uh, running on synthetic fuels and hydrogen fuel cell. Battery electric will be confined to the lighter machines.
0: So Bruce, if you just pop in your diary for September uh, 2033, let's have this conversation again and see how right you are.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Very good. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Again, technology moves on a lot quicker as as one of the people we spoke with for this piece said, who believed that mobile phones—you know, within ten years of them appearing—seem to be, you know, you could take a photo and send it to New York, and then watch a video from London, find out where you were in the world, uh, all the rest of it, on this one little one little gadget.
0: Absolutely, so, there would be things coming on board, Bruce. We haven't even imagined yet.
1: That's right, <laughs> and the, the demand will be there, so the customers will be there. So uh, there'll be people trying to work out how to supply those customers' needs.
0: Rest assured, all the farmers in uh, rural and remote Australia will be right there with them. I'm sure. Thanks very much for your time, Bruce. That is uh, that has given us a lot of food for thought in terms of you know how we power our farms, how we power our lives in future.
1: No problems. Thanks, Jerry.
0: Thanks for your time, Bruce, and thank you also for listening. I'll talk to you again soon.